0: Well, I wonder how many of you have already gone back on a resolution. Is anyone already, like, maybe messed up on a diet? Anyone kind of messed up on a diet yet? Anyone? Anyone? I'm trying. Anyone? No? Oh, we don't want to say that. All right, how many of you are still keeping a resolution so far? Raise your hands. How many of you didn't even make any resolutions? Raise your hand. (laughs) Yeah, you all are getting smart with that, right? You know, this whole, you know, new year, new me concept, and I appreciate that all. I I really do. I think we ought to kind of look back on the year and see where maybe we could uh, improve and go into the new year. But you know what I'm thankful? New me, new you. I'm thankful that it's still the same old God, and he's faithful and that he loves us and uh, that he is uh, there for us. So this morning... It is my turn now. I know Pastor Mike gave kind of a New Year's kind of type of flavor of a message last week, but I wasn't here last week. And so I need to kind of give my New Year uh, flavor uh, this morning. And next week, we're going to get right back into the Sermon on the Mount, just kind of going verse by verse through that. So today, we're going to kind of jump all over the map. Again, it's not normally what I do, but it's what, it's what I'd like to do at least uh, here this morning. Turn to Psalm 119. Psalm 119. Psalm 119, I'll give you the title here in a minute, Psalm 119, verse 105, Psalm 119, it's a big, 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 uh, obviously, chapter in the book of Psalms, but the 119th Psalm, verse 105, this is probably very familiar to many if you have either read through the Bible or Uh, You've been in church for any length of time. It says, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. In 1914, Ernest Shackleton and a team of explorers set out from England to do something that no one had ever accomplished before. Their desire was to cross Antarctica from each side along the South Pole. Now, disaster struck when the team's ship, which was called Endurance, became trapped in ice and eventually sank after the hull was crushed. Marooned on a nearby, the the Elephant Island, there seemed little hope for their survival. And so in a desperate, uh, just a desperate effort of help, shackleton and five other of these sailors they were they got on one of their emergency vessel boats which was about a 20 uh, foot long boat that's it and they made this dangerous storm-filled uh, journey to land across these types of waters it was an 800 mile journey to south Georgia island where help could be found for 15 days these men battled the elements. Sometimes you read the story, they battled some 100-foot-high waves at times. And so as they're battling these storms, this, these treacherous seas, they, only, they used a compass and a sextant. And Frank Worsley, who was the captain of the ship Endurance, he navigated their course until they safely reached land and found help. And then once they got there, Shackleton, he got another ship and went back and rescued all of the men that they left. A compass. That's all they used. was a compass. Listen to us. Listen to me. All of us are making our way through a stormy world. 2023 is... Great, because it's the beginning. It's a freshness. But all you got to do is look back to 2022 and you know that the horizon of 2023, though it, it, it's still going to be stormy. It's still going to have a lot of the, the, the conflict that, that, that we face on a weekly or daily or even monthly basis. And so this morning, I want to I use the Word of God to help us as our compass In 2023 that the word of god is going to be our compass this year ever since the first sin in the garden of eden mankind has struggled with making wise decisions about an uncertain future the only way to ensure that we do not go astray is to have an objective source of truth that can guide us what is truth? Like that's, that's literally the question today on, on social media and really just all news outlets. It's just truth is whatever you want it to be. And so if we are going to be able to make our way through potentially some turbulent months and maybe a turbulent year ahead, no doubt it's going to be. There's going to be elements of that because, because there, there always is. Then we're going to have to have an objective source of truth that can guide us. Just as a compass can guide sailors through dark and uncharted waters, God's word can guide us through uncertain and difficult circumstances. We must trust it over feelings. We must trust the word over our own wisdom. We must trust God's word over contrary advice that we are given from others because between our conversion, what what we're living in, kind of what we maybe would call the already, between that and what is to come, our home in heaven. So between these elements, few things are more important in the Christian life than a practical and functional level of biblical literacy. We've got to have biblical literacy. We've got to have an understanding after our salvation, before we go to our home in heaven. We've got to understand the word of God. And one of the heavenly father's most gracious gifts that that he could give to his children, the children of God, those that have trusted Jesus Christ as their savior, is his word. We simply will not be what God has called us to be and consistently do what God has commanded us to do without the ability to draw from the word of God to have a working relationship with his word that will guide and direct the year in which we're living. So we've got to get into this amazing book. But I have a confession to make. And it can be embarrassing and humbling, but I'm willing to make it publicly. Normally I'm willing to do that with you. I am not always super excited to study the word of God. You say, Ryan, you're a pastor. I know, and don't get me wrong, I love to do it or I wouldn't be here. Trust me. If, you know, I, If I didn't love the ministry, if I didn't love studying God's word, if I didn't love teaching and preaching the word of God, I wouldn't be here. So the fact that I do just lets me be honest with you and say, I don't always. And there's some weeks, there's some mornings, it's like, oh, not today, Lord. Can I be very transparent with you? Tuesday and Wednesday of this week, studying Hosea was like, Ah, oh. But we need to get in it. And it's our guide for the year in front of us. And I know that I'm not alone in the fact that sometimes it's hard to study it. Sometimes it's hard to have this working literacy when it comes to scripture. Why? Because we're, we're we're distracted Christians. We 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 still sin. We're saints, but we're in the progress of of stopping sinning. But we know that we still sin, and so in this distracted way of life, studying the Bible can sometimes feel burdensome, difficult, confusing, and unexpected. So today, if you'll allow me, I want to kind of put you know kind of remind myself and to remind you to persevere, and, and I want us to consider several kind of life-giving, heart-changing blessings that can come to you and that come to me when we get in the Word. Let me say first off this morning here, a God-consciousness, a God-consciousness. Beginning with the first four words of the Bible in Genesis 1-1 says, in the beginning, what, church? God, right? In the beginning, talk to me, God. Let's try it one more time. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. So the existence, the very character and plan of God, they're splashed across every single page of scripture, and it starts with him. In the beginning, God. Scripture isn't about us. Scripture is about him and his son redeeming mankind. So in the beginning, God, it gives us an awareness, a God consciousness in our life, and it's on every, every page. Ever since we were created for him, made to love and serve him, designed to walk in close communion with him, and called to do all that we think, do all that we think, say, and do in reference to him, there are a few things more important to us than scripture because this is where we find God. This is where we find how we're supposed to be living, So we've got to start with the God consciousness. Regular study of the Bible causes everything in your life and mind to be driven by God. Constant study of the Word of God rescues us from forgetting about Him, which is a constant danger for every single one of us. Without actively digging into the pages of Scripture, we are at risk of forgetting at a practical level that God exists. One of the men in our Travis, some of you are in like a, a, a group chat. And um, obviously they've moved on to California. And he shared a, you know, he, he just shared a great quote this week to, to us men. And, and it had the gist of, it's really easy sometimes for us to just live as practical atheists. That's kind of how I got out of it, where we can just live our lives sometimes where we're not even conscious of him, where we get up on a Monday morning and we say, well, this is what I always do on a Monday morning. I get up, the alarm goes off, I I get dressed, I get in the car, I go to work, and I do this and this and this and this. And if we're not careful, hours and hours and maybe even days can go by where we're not necessarily acknowledging God in our life. In the beginning, God. It started with God. And so we've got to get into the word, and we've got to study it on a regular basis and be taking large doses of it. Why? Because it's reminding us that God, is, it's all about him and his sovereign plan. Let me say, secondly, it gives us a self-awareness. Second only to the life-shaping knowledge of God is a humble heart it's a knowledge of ourself can i show you how kind of god describes our heart through the prophet jeremiah jeremiah 17 verse 9 the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it i the lord search the heart i try the reins even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings but since sin is deceitful since our hearts do get deceived Right? And since it's deceitful, we all must abandon the notion here this morning that we know ourselves best. Right? Have you ever heard that? Well, hey, I know myself best. Actually, according to Jeremiah 17, you don't. And I don't. But thankfully, God does. As long as sin remains in our lives, there will be pockets of spiritual blindness in all of us. Knowing the blinding power of sin, God blessed us with a mirror. And that mirror is his word. James tells us in James 1, But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is likened unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. In a mirror. Okay, this was their way of kind of using the, in their, their face in a mirror. For he beholdeth himself, and he goeth his way straight forward, forgetting what manner of man he was. Verse 25. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty. That's a—that's uh, a, a, a an analogy for the word of God. It's a picture of the word of God. The perfect law of liberty, and continue therein. He being not a forgetful here, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. And so we look in to the Word of God. We first see that there is a God, and we need to be aware of God, and He gives us a God consciousness. Then we begin to see, "Ooh, that's what I'm like. I'm a sinner. I'm in need of rescue. Oh, my outbursts of anger aren't okay. Be slow to wrath." The Bible tells us, "Oh, oh, my pride is not okay." My lustful thoughts towards the opposite agenda, the, the, the opposite sex, objectifying them. Remember Matthew 5? Oh, that's not okay. And so when we begin to open up the word of God and we use it as a mirror, it, shows, it makes us self-aware of who we are. So don't be like the, the, the one used here in James, of like you look in that mirror and you say, oh, no, I'm okay, I'm just going to go my way. No, allow a true self assessment of you. Let me say this and let this sink in. If you never get in the Word of God, you have no clue what kind of person you are. Did you hear me? Because your heart is deceitful. Your heart fools you. Your heart tells you that everything's okay. But it's the word of God and God's gracious, loving care of us. He gives us his word to say, whoa, like a mirror. No, it's I'm not okay. And so in 2023, can I encourage you to get in the word? So it's our compass for the year so you can actually see who you are, who you are. Let me give you a third help here. Knowledge of God's plan. So it gives us a God consciousness, and then it lets us know who we are, and then we get into the Word of God, and it actually shows us the steps forward. Just like those men that were trying to to row their way, find their way to land, that compass was showing them this is the direction, the Word of God is our compass. It's a principle that's captured powerfully in the Lord's model prayer. We're gonna get to this in the Sermon on the Mount, but Matthew 6.10, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth, As it is in heaven so what's the what's the principle here you and I were created to live for something bigger than ourselves because of this God works to rescue us from the confines of our own our own ways our own we'll use this word here kingdom our own our own little kingdom where it's all about us and all about what we want and this is the direction that I want to go in and so in God's grace and in his in his care for us he rescues us from that that kind of kingdom of one concept. And he delivers us to his kingdom, which is full of glory and grace and magnitude. And he says, hey, I've got got a plan for your life. He takes us as individuals, hear me out before you judge me, we're insignificant, and he gives us significance. Significance gives us such value and worth we're just we're just one person but God says no 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 you're not you're of immense value and I've got a plan for you I've got a way that you are supposed to live Hear what I'm about to say apart from the word of God we don't know what that plan is we're going to go about it our own way and we're going to be bumping our heads why isn't this working because it's not part of God's plan but what does it practically mean what does it practically mean to seek God's kingdom well the answer splashes across page after page of Scripture can I answer that fully in one morning absolutely not but you begin to find it in Scripture the Bible gives us a clear picture of what it looks like to have your life shaped not by what you want but by what God wants study the Bible and it will paint a portrait of what it looks like to have your life shaped not by your plans but by God's plans, a life shaped by God's wisdom and not yours. How about the famous passage in James chapter number one? This is a rather famous passage. I didn't put verse five up there and I should have. Verse five says this, if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God. So we're dealing with the concept of wisdom. So if we're, if we're knowing, hey, Think about what we're talking about, the plan of God. So God, what's the wisdom for this situation? Where am I supposed to go? So if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God and give it to all men and, 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 and liberally and he not. Verse number six, but, but, caution, let that man ask in faith, nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord, because a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Now, I believe this passage needs some careful attention, and I kind of, hopefully you can read it all. I kind of shrunk it down so the whole thing could be up there. And I, I think we need to kind of, so traditionally, this, might have, this, this passage might be a little bit misunderstood. I, I know that I certainly have in the past. This passage is not warning about intellectual or theological doubt. This passage is not saying the moment that you doubt, God turns his back on you and says, I'm not gonna help you anymore. That's not, What this passage is talking about I don't believe what's what it's teaching let me take you to two particular clues in the passage that are going to help you to understand the deeper or more profound meaning that this passage is teaching let's look carefully at verse number six but let him ask in faith nothing if you're looking at the screen tell me what is it wavering so but let this but, but let him ask in faith but in, but not wavering. So let, but let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. The word there wavering is the same word that is used in the original in chapter two, verse four, for the distinction that believers are making between the poor and the rich. So you get to chapter number two and James is kind of laying out, kind of church life and how we ought to be careful that we don't, you know, just, you know, make, oh, you know, they have money. And so, hey, why don't you come sit right here? Let's make you awesome. Let's worship you. Oh, you don't really have anything. You don't, you don't smell too good. Hey, why don't you sit in the back there? That's basically what James is kind of talking about at the beginning of chapter number two. So let's look at verse number four. Are ye not then partial in yourselves? Same word, in a sense, as wavering and become judges of evil thoughts. People are making the choice to ignore the poor who come into the services, who worship. Favorite, they favorite The favoritism to the rich, I already mentioned that. That word wavering is not about intellectual struggle. It is about being torn between two choices. So that's the first clue. So it's not that you have a little bit of doubt and God says, I'm done with you. Now, the wavering here is you're just, you're just torn between two decisions. Am I going to honor the rich? Am I going to you know, just kind of just push away the poor? It's just you're struggling to with a little bit. But let me give you another clue because it has the same idea of this twain concept. Look at verse number eight. A double-minded man you could also word it this way a double-hearted man as a man thinketh in his heart so is he the mind and the heart they're so often connected a double-souled man a double a double-hearted man is unstable in all his ways so it's a picture of having these two souls or in a sense these these two hearts and James is saying there is in all of us a conflict Of desires. There is a way in which all of us in this room, if we're honest, we want the wisdom of God. We would want it. But then there's other times where we want our own way. We're just going to do our own thing. We love God and we love ourselves. We love God's plans. Yeah, but I also love the wonderful plans that I have for my life. James is saying here in James chapter number one, hear this. God has no commitment to giving us wisdom. So our self focused purposes will work. Nope. Hey, if you need wisdom, just ask and I can give it to you in heaps. Jesus is wisdom, right? So all wisdom, in a sense, it's in him. And he can give it to all of us. Oh, I need, I, need, I need wisdom for this day. Should I buy this or should I not? And God's already told you through a still, small voice of the Holy Spirit, you shouldn't buy that. Listen, God is not committed to give you wisdom, to give me wisdom for our self-focused purpose to work. God's wisdom is kingdom wisdom. And it's for those who are loyal to the work of his kingdom. Again, this makes sense. Because if you think about back in Genesis chapter 3, when Eve is being tempted, it says not only that she saw that the fruit was desirable for food, but it also was desirable to gain something else. Let's see it. Verse 6 of Genesis 3. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave it to her husband so she saw that it could give wisdom now i want you to notice her delusion that i believe we all fall into if it's possible for me to gain autonomous wisdom then it's also possible that i could use that wisdom to advance my purpose i want my will to work is what we say and what we think. Okay, we look at Genesis three and we're like, "How dare Eve?" We do the same thing. It's just on a different scale, and it's not like you know humanity and the fall of man all kind of hinging. But in a sense, for you and for me, in our moment-to-moment basis, it is. It's like God, am I gonna am I gonna say what you said? He said, "You can eat of all of the trees except for the one in the midst in the garden." Right. So you can eat of every tree but that one. And so God said that. But I want it anyways. Why? Because it looks great. And I'm going to gain wisdom from it. Gain wisdom. There is in all of us a tug of loyalty between God's will and our will. God's kingdom and our kingdom of one. This tug is in every situation. It's in every location of human life. There are times when you'll live in submission to God's wisdom. Praise God for that. And there are also going to be times when you have no doubt what is right. But you choose to do what is wrong because the wrong pleases you at the moment. You know what you're supposed to do, but I'm going to do it anyways. I'm going to look at that website anyways because in this moment, I want that pleasure. It doesn't matter that I'm objectifying that individual. I want it anyways. We, God says, no, 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 you shouldn't go back for seconds or thirds, right? But I want it anyways, and so I'm going to indulge. I'm going to commit the sin of gluttony. When was the last time you heard a sermon on that? No, yes, is what I want. I could list a litany of things. You know it's wrong to speak to your children that way. But you give way to your anger. You know it's wrong to gossip about a friend, but you like the emotion that you feel when you, when you talk about him. You know you shouldn't buy that next big thing. You've spent enough already, but I'm gonna do it anyways. You know that you should have more time in your life for reading of God's word, but instead you'd rather have 45 minutes more of sleep. You find it easier to spend X amount of dollars on something that's extravagant maybe in a super expensive meal, but put that same amount in an offering box? No. You see what we've done? Our kingdom over God's kingdom. And before you, before Satan puts in your mind, ah, there he goes on money. I don't ever mention money, and you know that. But you think about these real-life scenarios, and we pull eaves all the time. But how would we ever know that? Word of God teaches us. We broke down just literally just three or four verses of James 1 to understand, yeah, this is actually more of a problem than we think. We cannot humbly read the Word. We cannot humbly read the passage of James without saying, Lord, this disloyalty is in me. I am yet a person with a divided heart. So God has not given you his grace to make your kingdom of one work. God has given you his grace to invite you to a much better kingdom. See, wisdom runs on the rails of submission and obedience. Amazing word picture here is that this double-minded man, he's unstable in all his ways, but we saw that earlier also in James 1, verse 6. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. You see that instability there. Like the waves of the sea, they're just tossed about because he lacks the loyalty of faith. He's driven by every wind of desire, every wind of emotion, every wind of temptation, every wind of envy. His life is unstable. So we're given a God consciousness when we get into the word. Our compass for 2023, awareness of God, awareness of self, his plan. It's a one way thing. It's not, well, pick A or B. No, you need wisdom so you pick the right right avenue. Let me give you another one here. Those were the long ones. Okay, we'll, we'll go quick here. Personal transformation. If you were to ask this morning the question, what is God doing right now in the lives of his children? What's he doing? Maybe through your trials, circumstances, maybe through love, joy. What's he trying to do through all of it? What was he trying to do through Thanksgiving, through Christmas, through New Year's? What is God doing in the lives of his children? You could answer it with one word change, sanctification. He's bringing transformation. He's trying to change you and he's trying to change me. Sometimes he changes me through, <coughs> excuse me, the pleasure. He brings just great blessing into the life. He's trying to cause us to look upward. Thank you for this amazing blessing. Sometimes he brings pain and he brings sorrow. Why? Because he's trying to bring change. The power of sin has been broken in your life, but the presence of sin remains. So God is working by grace. We've looked at this so often, this concept, and he's transforming you, sometimes through uncomfortable means. Remember the beginning of the Beatitudes? Uncomfortable means. Remember First Peter? Uncomfortable means. God's grace in your life and in my life. I love the word picture that's used in Isaiah 55. It, it, it illustrates this transforming power that we are alluding to here. Um, Isaiah is talking about the word of God and how it transitions a kind of a thorn bush And makes it into a cypress tree let's see that isaiah 55 13. instead of the thorn shall come up the fir tree and instead of the thorn bush shall come up the cypress tree and it shall be to the lord for a name for an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off now let me ask you a question if you were to rain bring rain (laughs) if you were to water excuse me if you were to water if there were to be some rain or maybe even some snow right on a thorn bush what would you expect to happen? Bigger thorn bush, right? That's just, that's just logical, right? No one, you know, puts, you know, you got, you got thorns and weeds there. Hey, let's put a little bit of water there, and maybe we'll get an apple tree. No, that's not how it works. Humanly, that's not how it works. But when you allow the rain of God's word to water your soul, you don't become a bigger rendition of what you once were. Hear me. Grace comes in and you become something radically new or something completely different for God's glory. That's what the word of God does for you and for me. So you've looked at the word, you found out who God is, and then you begin to look at the word and you find out who you are and you don't like it and you see the plans that God has for you and you aren't following them, stay in the book and you will become transformed. You don't become just a bigger version of you if you're in the word. You become changed, transformed. Let me give you another one here. Gospel worldview. I'm gonna hasten here. I don't know if you've thought about this or not, but I've told you this before. I know for a fact I've told you this, but you're all theologians, every single one of you, even the littlest, littlest ones in here. They just don't quite understand this yet, but I don't mean that you're academic theologians. I don't mean that you're all studying languages and the history of the Bible. That's not what I mean. Every day, you and I, we interpret our experience through the lens of our theology, we make assumptions and draw conclusions about God, about ourselves and about our world, based on what we know about God, based on what we know about ourselves, based on what we know about His plan. So if we don't know God real well, and we don't know ourselves real well, and we don't know God's plan we, we're okay, Happy New Year. <laughs> if we don't know those things real well, then listen, we're basing life off of horrible theology. And so we're going to look at the situations that are coming into our life, and the sorrows and the heartaches, and we're going to be like, God, there's no way that you can be good. There's no way that you love me. There's no way that, that, that you could be caring and loving for my family because we don't have a gospel worldview. We have a Ryan worldview. It's not been exposed to God. It's not been exposed to the real me. It's not been exposed to the gospel way that he is calling us to live. And so if we're not careful... We get to a place where we're just plugging along and people are trying to say, hey, whoa, you're going in the wrong direction. You're losing your kids. And we're like, okay, whatever. Because we don't have a gospel worldview. But when we get into the word, I told you I was going to hasten. So when we get into the word, it'll give us this gospel worldview. It'll change us. Let me give you another one, everyday guidance. You might have to skip something there, Nick. If you live like me, and I suspect that you do, there's hardly a day that goes by where you don't wonder, mm, what should I do in this? What should I say here? What should I respond in this situation? You know, uh, uh, well, what should I plan to do in this location? Nearly every hour of your life is marked with moments of decision, little ones. Sometimes we like to think of life as made up of big decisions, eh, that's not true. Life is definitely made up of several big decisions, but it's like, there's, life includes, is what I meant to say. Life includes several big decisions, like who am I going to marry? You know, that kind of stuff. Of course, absolutely. But you know what life is really made up of? Thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands of little decisions. That's what makes up life. Because if we're going to get to the place of, hey, what school should I attend for college? Can you believe I'm there with my kids? I remember when my daughter was four when we moved here. In a couple weeks, we're gonna be taking a college trip. Yeah, she's back there. Scary, scary stuff. But listen. Before we decide, hey, this is, God, what college do you want me to go to where you might meet the mate for your life? I mean, those big decisions, right? Well, then you got to have a whole lot of little decisions on a daily basis that you're walking with God and you're listening to God and that you're hearing him and he's talking to you and you are actually having an ear to hear for all that. So our life is actually made up of millions and millions and millions and millions of little, little decisions. So we ought to have thy word... As a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path because every day is made up of small small choices when we study the scriptures we're unlocking a spiritual GPS that helps us navigate things let me give you the last one here commitment to ministry you might have to skip Nick commitment to ministry finally god's word reminds us again and again that the most important work in the universe is god's work of redemption it's what god's doing to redeem mankind studying the bible reminds us that we have not been called just to be recipients of grace and hallelujah for that but we're called not just to be recipients of grace, but to be instruments of that grace, to be a part of God's redeeming work here on this earth. Thank God that he has redeemed me. It was August of 1992. I was 12 years old. Thank God that he has redeemed me. And if all I ever get out of this life, hey, praise God, I'm going to go to heaven, but that's not his plan for me. He desires for me, and he desires for you. He desires every single person in this world that is born again, that's a a Christian, to be a part of this redeeming work. Let me show that to you in 2 Corinthians 5.20. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did not beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be reconciled to God. I just want to deal with that time, the, the beginning there. Ambassadors to Christ. We know what an ambassador is, right? An ambassador is in the place of. Right? So uh, even here in the U.S., we have ambassadors for other countries, and they're the representation. We have Americans that are across you know, our, our world in kind of friendly, f- friendly countries, and we have an ambassador, a representation of our country there. They're like they're, they're us. It's, they're like our property. It's like it, That's our land right there. And so we are to be representation of Christ here. That's who we're supposed to be. So when you think about the fact that in our series on the Sermon on the Mount and certainly our Beatitudes, when Jesus literally is the fulfillment of the kingdom coming, we, men and women in here, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, I don't know if Disney still says that, but they should, ladies and gentlemen and boys and girls. That was a little soapbox. Thanks for letting me get on it for a second. We are the representation of God's kingdom here. But Christ is in us, He's empowered us, He's the wisdom, and we ought to be committed to this ministry of reconciliation. That's what He, what he calls us to in, in, in other verses in this chapter. Committed to this ministry of reconciliation. God, use me as a vessel to show the life and the love of Christ to others. Sharing the gospel, kind deeds, turning the cheek. We're going to get there next week. What does that mean? Got to take it within its context. Got to go all the way back to to, to the time of when Jesus was saying that. When we embody Christ, it changes the world around us. We simply will not be what God has called us to be. And consistently do what God has commanded us to do without an ability, hear me, without an ability to draw wisdom and insight out of the pages of this amazing book. So can I challenge you this new year for me, first time I'm seeing you this year, many of you at least, some of you I saw this week, but challenge you to let the word of God be our compass. I want to close with one last illustration. The American Bible Society, they, they put out an annual report. And they tell of the story of William McPherson. William McPherson was a superintendent of a stone quarry. And there was a blast at his stone quarry and he lost his eyesight. And he lost both of his hands. Lost his eyesight. And he lost his hands. And he was determined to read the Bible. And he learned. He learned to read the word of God. A raised version of it with his tongue. He learned to read Braille with his tongue. He had no hands, lost his eyesight, and it is said that he read through the Bible four times like that. Now, my goal in using that illustration at the end of this message is not to shame you but to say, thank you, God, that I still have eyes. And you can get in the word of God. I and mean, well, we've got technology now, listen to it. I told those that were here at 10 o'clock, I listened to Hosea four, five, six, seven times this week, just on repeat, listening to it. Let's get in the word of God. God has gifted you with a beautiful love story that tells you all about him. It tells you about yourself. Tells you about his plan that he has for you. It's not just a kind of A or B. No, no. He has a plan. Let's not waver in that. He's got a plan. He brings change in our lives. And he brings guidance. And it brings you to a place where you're like, all right, I want to be a part of this ministry of reconciliation. Our compass for 2023. It's going to be the word of God. Every time we meet here, every... Sometimes we'll have an activity here and there, won't necessarily be uh, full on, but everything has a goal. Everything has a mind. The the, the goal is to teach and to preach and to live out the word of God. And so let it be our compass for 2023. Every head bowed, every eye closed.